welcome to Florida. Or in this case, welcome to Florida's. <laughs> that is the voice of New York Times best-selling author and award-winning environmental reporter Craig Pittman. Yes, welcome to Florida's. We'll explain what that means later on. But want to start with Craig's uh, Florida Phoenix column recently, and it's when we think about hurricane damage and the uh, the rebuilding and sort of the toll. We don't typically think about what you mentioned because it's hard to see, although you can smell it. Yeah, you can definitely smell it. Uh, I wrote about, you know, I mentioned that, you know, if you've been through hurricanes before in Florida, you know, there are generally several stories that always pop up afterwards uh, and not just the guys who ride around with their shirts off on jet skis and wakeboards. <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, there's the stories on sketchy cleanup contracts. There are the stories on the boom and deceive bearing mosquitoes because there's so much standing water around. There are the stories about multiple sewer spills. Well, the multiple sewer spill story has now led to an, another one, which is flesh-eating bacteria. That's it, technically it's not flesh-eating bacteria, but that's you know that's the new thing is that Lee County has now broken the state record for the number of flesh-eating bacteria cases and deaths, and the record was set after Hurricane Irma in 2017. That mm-hmm. this is because of all the sewage that has spilled out and that people waded through, and I guess some people had you know, cuts and things like that. Sure. And bacteria Waterborne got disease. Yeah. Bacteria. Yeah. Four deaths. And I mean, that four de- I mean, that's, it's nothing when you compare it to like traffic fatalities, but you know, we're talking, I mean, these are unusual deaths to be, I mean, that's yeah. almost like lightning strike or yeah. something. And it's, and it's, it's preventable. It's preventable. Totally. And, yeah. and then I, I went on to point out that these sewage spills after Ian, they're big, but they're not unusual. We spill sewage into our waterways all the time. And it takes nothing more than a hard rain sometimes yeah. to make that happen. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of gallons. We're not yeah. talking like a 55-gallon yeah. drum mm-hmm. tipped over and it went into, into the river. And, and I think that's one thing you really make clear in your column at the Florida Phoenix. Yes, these four deaths are in Lee County, but you know, play dealer's choice with the state. And uh, there were massive... Uh, right where you are, I think Pinellas, you you highlighted as, as having yeah. a, a massive wastewater dump as a result yeah. of Ian into there was Tampa one, Bay. The, yes, and there was one in the in, into the Indian River Lagoon, which is already fighting multiple mm-hmm. uh, toxic algae blooms as a result. Okay, of so explain how these happens. It's it's the the volume of rain that uh, overwhelms wastewater treatment facilities, right. which are already right. strained because of of the masses of of development. Right. Yeah. So these these facilities often are 20 or 30 years old. They were built for the capacity of, you know, the time they were built and maybe five or 10 years beyond that. Mm -hmm. But now we're well past that. Development has put additional pressure on there. There's been no upgrades because, you know, sewage is not a glamorous subject Mm -hmm. and people in Florida generally don't like their taxes to go up. And developers really don't want to have to pay impact fees, which would Mm -hmm. be the easy way to pay for this stuff. So the sewage treatment plants are just utterly overwhelmed by a hard rainfall and climate change says we're going to be getting a lot more of those soon so you know so the the alternatives here for the sewer plants is let the sewage back up into people's homes no they're not going to do that instead they're going to turn it loose and put it in the nearest waterway and pray that dilution is the solution to pollution but it's not it's you know it's killing our waterways which is one of the things that attract people to the state yeah, yeah. FloridaPhoenix.com. You can learn more about this topic. And, and while we're on the, the subject of flooding, uh, boy, I, I cannot recommend enough 
from windstormproducts.com, that quick dam flood barrier. We, you, get out of your head anymore. And, and I think if you live in Florida, you, you, you've got it out of your head that flooding is only the result of, you know, hurricanes. Yeah. There is so much sunny day flooding, regular right. flooding, ordinary flooding, flooding when you get a hard rain, flooding when you don't get a hard rain, just all yes. of the, the runoff King from, tides and so forth, yeah. from impervious service surfaces. If you've got a, a house or a shed or a barn or a garage or whatever it happens to be in a uh, a low lying or even a, 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 a filled in wetland. And God knows how many of those there are around mm-hmm. Florida. And, and you are constantly worried or dealing with water inundation. And, and you know, it doesn't have to be much, you know, we're not talking about feet here. An inch of, of water in your basement can uh, cause you uh, all kinds of pain, blues and agony from uh, cost and hassle. Quick dam flood barriers are a simple easy, effective solution to those problems you can have on hand, bing, bang, boom. They do the work of dozens of sandbags without the hassle, without uh, taking up all the space because you can just uh, pop them if they fill up or fold them like they're uh, pillowcases when when they're not. Check them out. I've got a link down in the show notes. Uh, quick dam flood barriers through windstormproducts.com. If you've got water inundation uh, on, on your property, business, or, or your home, this uh, could be a lifesaver for you. Now, we talked uh, in the introduction about Florida's Explain why we're talking about Florida sure. does today, Craig. Sure, now, not, and not Florida. I just want to make that clear. Plenty of Florida's. That. We're 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 talking today specifically about a book with that title, Florida's, and it's a collection of photographs by Anastasia Semoylova and Walker Evans. And Walker Evans being this tremendous, uh, he's known particularly as a Depression era black and white photographer. But he took a lot of pictures here in Florida, and Anastasia has now come along and sort of documented another version of Florida or other versions of Florida and very cleverly mixed the two pictures to get the two sets mm-hmm. of pictures together. So you can compare and contrast and see the many different kinds of Florida. And we're very fortunate to have her as a guest today. Absolutely. She's going to be at the Miami Book Fair, which runs mm-hmm. November 13th through the 20th. Craig's going to be a part of that. I'll make sure there's a link to the Miami Book Fair mm-hmm. in the show notes, along with Anna's book, Florida. She was born in Moscow, came to the United States, uh, found her way to Miami, Miami Beach uh, 2016, and has just uh, released this gorgeous, beautiful uh, color photography book, Florida's. This is such an interesting book project you've you've put out here. Tell me how you first encountered the work of Walker Evans, whose pictures are mixed in with yours. I've known of the work for a long time. Uh, as I studied photography, I was self-taught initially, and Walker Evans is this monumental figure, right, in the history mm-hmm. of this medium period, right? Not just the you know American photography, but overall photography. He's this uh, cult figure in a way, but there's very little knowledge of his work from Florida. He's mainly associated with the Great Depression and the FSA Commission, um, Alabama sharecroppers. Uh, So Florida is very little known work of his. And yet I saw that there were some critical moments that happened for him in Florida that set the tone for his oeuvre for many years to come. So he's been coming back to Florida for 40 years and that work has barely ever been published. 
uh, and talked about. So discovering that archive um, midway into my project is when I decided to include the work. What did he shoot in Florida? Landscapes or architecture, portraits? What was he here looking at? It's a wide variety of subjects in this best Evans tradition possible. He wasn't limiting himself to just one typology, right? Or any certain approach either. And this is where I really relate to his work and his methods in photography. He was very much a list maker. Uh, in fact, it was on commission in Hobie Sound. I think it was a hotel in the 30s. This was 1934 that he put together a list of things to look for in an American town in a letter to a friend. And then he never mailed the letter. He actually kept the list. Mm -hmm. And it's almost as if you can trace an entire lineage of photographers who roughly adhere to this list in how they photograph America, you know, the United States and beyond, myself included. What were some what were what was on the list? Not not the, the entire list, but a few of the, the, the key pieces. That list is reproduced in my book. <laughs> and there were bizarre things, you know, um, but they're so prophetic at the same time. Like this was in 1934, uh, where he wrote fake culture as one of the items to look out for. <laughs> and how do you photograph that? And things like we um, got that in Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Advertising, uh, you know, um, cars, what people look to do for fun, you know, how do they seek sort of this high and not get it? I'm paraphrasing. Mm -hmm. Women's clubs, sex. He never really got to photographing sex. (laughs) (laughs) Perhaps it's for the best. You came at photography from a, a different discipline. This is kind of interesting to me that you you didn't start out studying to be a photographer. Yes, exactly. I actually studied environmental design back in Russia. And so good luck applying that (laughs) degree (laughs) in that country. And it was in the early 2000s. I graduated in 2007. And then I, um, I pursued my MFA in visual arts in the United States. We don't, we didn't have the MFA degree and still don't Uh, back in Russia. Yeah, that's what led to this long journey to photography. I actually used camera. I used my camera just to document my constructs of these proposed buildings that were supposed to be environmentally conscious and mm-hmm. <laughs> using sustainable materials. So I was self-taught for that uh, for that purpose in photography, and then later on I pursued it from a more conceptual standpoint. But it wasn't until my move to Miami in 2016 that I began in observational kind of documentary style photography. What brought you to Miami? It was a combination of factors. I was teaching full-time prior to that in the Midwest at a community college and then at another college in the Northeast. Living by the water was a lifelong dream. So I was landlocked back in Moscow and then in the Midwest, the same situation. So this was... um, on the one hand, this sort of fantasy that I had in my mind my entire life. And then on the other hand, on the practical um, level, I got into a, a semi-subsidized artist residency oh. uh, that provided a free studio in Miami Beach. So that was an incredible opportunity where I could just focus on my art and leave my full-time 
academic job um, that was very time consuming and leaving mm -hmm. me very little um, space, including mental space to pursue my own work. Part of the Florida's book focuses on the mythology of Florida in American culture. And, you know, you growing up overseas, living in the Midwest, you come to Miami. How is it uh, similar or totally different from what you'd come to expect, uh, you know, through Miami Vice and Golden Girls and movies <laughs> and, and, you know, Will Smith, Welcome to Miami and, and, and what you just gather through the, the ether, so to speak? Yeah, I only knew of Florida, like you said, sort of from the media, from this construct of this place, right? Is this tropical paradise, um, and shiny and glitzy. Mm -hmm. And I love the effect of this kind of breaking apart that illusion when I now show my work as an insider to the outside world, you know, European exhibitions and this book that was published in Germany. So people are shocked. And I love that effect, of course, uh, <laughs> because that's what happened for me. So I um, I arrived here from um, Massachusetts was my latest um, mm -hmm. outpost and then to Miami. My work has always dealt with landscape and sense of place and landscape versus place you know places mm -hmm. is something you inhabit and then landscape is to be looked at um yeah this perception of this landscape and then living in it right in this urban landscape where i am in miami beach and the difference between the two and also prior to that my long-term project called landscape sublime i'm looking at different aesthetic categories the picturesque the beautiful and the sublime specifically mm -hmm. I address it from many different standpoints. And in Florida, this was a real experience of the sublime. So it's something that's so grand, it can overwhelm an individual, both aesthetically, uh, right, and the sense of awe. And I've encountered it first with the impending Category 3 hurricane in 2016, uh, which was an easy pass for us. And then next year, when Hurricane Irma hit, this is where um, I got to feel it firsthand, this sense of sublime and fascination and terror in a way and <laughs> beauty at the same time. These were very complex and intense feelings that propelled the beginning of that project that became um, Flood Zone. Well, talk a little bit about that, about Flood Zone, because I'm really intrigued by that. Thank you. Uh, the title itself came from me frenetically researching where I was located at the time <laughs> the hurricane hit. <laughs> makes sense. Had, There's a lot of that going around during hurricane season. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I didn't realize, you know, and um, the term most frequently used when I was leaving um, Russia in 2007 was global warming. Um, I focused on industrial agriculture in the Midwest. So it was always environmentally sort of oriented, my work. But not until Florida um, have I really deeply thought about climate change and rising sea level. And this was, again, it had this practical impulse because sure. Miami Beach is not very <laughs> elevated. So it turned yeah. out where I was was entirely a red flood zone. And I saw that on the day off. The hurricane. Oh boy. <laughs> this is where we ignored the previous hurricane because everybody was kind of on the same page that it wasn't going to be too bad. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And so with the mandatory evacuation in 2017, we didn't evacuate. So we stuck it out with my small family in a mm. sort of older, older residential condo. We thought, oh, these windows are from the 50s. So we can, <laughs> we <Man>. can survive <laughs> this. Yes. And that the flood zone came out of me and my son going out to evaluate the damages in the neighborhood on our bikes. Prior to that, I was shooting for a year, but speculatively, not knowing yet where it would take me. I was using those images as source material for my collages and paintings. But with Hurricane Irma, I decided to leave it as is, as this document of what I was looking at. And that's why this transition to documentary photography. And how did that lead into Florida's? Already in 2019, as I was wrapping up the work on the flood zone project, there were certain things about Florida that I wanted to expand upon. A number of issues, right? Of course, climate change, we know, is not separate from our political choices, right? And how this is the centuries of exploited land and labor came to be. It's not this remote issue that's localized elsewhere, right? Or just on this, you know, waterfront or out there in the glaciers. We are very much living in it and it needs to be, um, I think, incorporated in our everyday language more. Uh, so with the Florida's work, climate change and environmental um, issues are still addressed throughout. But I also wanted to include other concerns that are I'm not claiming any objectivity in this project, sure, uh, but that are the most pertinent to me as, say, a parent and a woman. This roadside gun shop, you could just pull over and get a gun. And, and, and that's the one that had the paintings of assault rifles on the side, outside of the building, right? Yeah, those are yeah. adorable cutouts that were just attached to this roadside oh gun shop. And it's just one of many and as an art photographer, I'm specifically not a photojournalist, even though occasionally I get assignments, and that's how I got some aerial shots in this project. But I am an art photographer, so the formal aspects of the image still prevail. They will win over whatever subject I needed to photograph. So this is one of, obviously, dozens of gun shops that I encountered on my road sure. trips. And it was around the time of the 2020 election and anxiety was very high. In part, this was an impulse to channel that anxiety and to understand mm -hmm. the state better. I drove all the way out to Pensacola and there were multiple road trips. And actually Craig's book, uh, Oh, Florida, was a major resource for oh, my great. research. For I'm happy to hear that. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. And your podcast as well. It was with me on those road trips. But from the book, I actually highlighted several locations. I went to the villages. You know, the images didn't make it into the book, but I was there for a few days. That's great. That's great. Uh, I was going to ask you, speaking of guns, I was going to ask you about one particularly ar arresting image in here, which is a man's torso. He's wearing blue jeans. He's got tattoos of two automatic guns looking like they're tucked into his jeans. He's got a Confederate flag tattooed on his arm and across his, his stomach is tattooed, no mercy. And it's just labeled beachgoer Naples, which <laughs> struck me very much an understatement. Oh, and he's got a knife. I meant, I forgot to mention, he's got a knife and a sheath on the, in the belt, in his belt. What were the circumstances for taking that picture? Did the guy resist? Was he okay with you walking up and saying, 
hi, I'm, I'm a photographer. Can I take your picture? <laughs> I mean, there are a couple of things, you know, and that's the beauty of Florida. When I arrived here, it was in terms of my work, it was after years of making collages. I'm very much a collagist. Uh, so what you see is usually dense layers, including layers of meaning that I try to pack into each individual image. There are never sort of didactic messages in each photograph because I'm not a photojournalist. So there is this ambiguity um, and you can still interpret things your own way. And this is again, coming from a very deep trauma of being dictated what to think for a very long time uh, back where I come from. So I steer clear of that. And yet this slice of um, this body part it, to me looked like a collage and a thing of a perfect, <laughs> perfect <laughs> montage of multiple very, well, not conflicting, but quite straightforward mm -hmm. messages that this man was displaying. And I think Florida tends to take things to this extreme very often, right? Yeah. People's political <laughs> views get displayed literally on their body. And believe it or not, there are several things that are going for me there. I was on this very long road trip for, it, it, this was Naples, you know, en route to the villages. And I had to pull over and I realized that my pants were too tight and they were squishing my stomach. And I had to go and get emergency pants because it's a long drive. It's like a seven hour drive. Yeah. <laughs> and what I could find were camouflage pants. So that's one thing that's going for me. I had this mm -hmm. Hunter's camouflage pants and I, I think I had a baseball cap at that time. Anyways, I, I was like an insider in many of those yeah. <laughs> locations all of a sudden. So it was a form access. of camouflage. <laughs> I think so. I think yeah. so. And then believe it or not, so this is a public beach in Naples. On the other side, just minutes apart, there's an image that wasn't as striking. There's an image of a marriage proposal going on and uh -huh. there's this crowd. So this is a, a you know, it's a packed beach. Um, the man did not belong to that crowd. He's on his mm. own. There was a girlfriend Thank to him. the side of him. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but I never photograph paparazzi style unless it's really a figure very far away in some landscape mm -hmm. where you can't really tell who they are. So I, there was a report. <laughs> I made eye contact and asked permission. Mm. And yeah. he was happy to display um, his tattoos. His tats. His tats. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, th there's another one I really like. It was a, a a woman eating. I guess she was eating lunch on a patio, and and she's surrounded by these enormous buildings that seem sort of unfeeling and cold. But she's this little center of warmth. Oh, is it towards yeah. the end? That's yes, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, and another a sort of protagonist that is a thread throughout the project. Uh, is a female figure on her own, doing her own thing and not expecting any company. <laughs> this is perhaps a stand-in for, for the author. But ah. she was really dressed up and she looked wonderful. And it's in Miami in this rooftop restaurant. Um, and uh, she was just in her own space. And, and, and she's got a pairing on the spread towards the end, a woman in Tampa just lounging in a public park on her mm -hmm. own all dressed in pink so yeah there are several of those female figures throughout the project and then you went to seaside too, the setting for the truman show yes and i wonder if i picked it up from your book too <laughs> could be might have been i think so <laughs> yes that one felt very um how do i put it politely homogenous in terms of the type of architecture it, it certainly felt 
pre-planned. I think the average cost of a house is like two million now. It's pretty expensive, yeah. Most and most of them are second homes that people don't don't live in seaside the way yeah, the architect looked, had expected them to. Yeah, it looked really polished and uh, very much like a Truman Show. Still, I think they were <laughs> right on with the location. <laughs> One of the subcurrents of the Florida's book is nostalgia, and you only having been in the, the state for a, a handful of years, you can't have nostalgia for, for Florida. So how, how did you try and capture nostalgia and, and this incredible, you know, yin and yang Florida has for its nostalgia and also its just rapacious development and, and willingness to destroy what, what has been here before and, and put up the new? Oh, that's a great question. Nostalgia overall is a bit of a taboo word in photography because it's um easy trick, right? But you can't help it here. Yeah. Uh, even though I've not been here this long, as an observer, you know, you're you're tuned in to this environment. And I can sense it in the layers in architecture, in yeah, in the in the public space. It's just there. You you almost you can't miss it unless you really are stuck in just a, a a handful of sort of bubble neighborhoods, insular neighborhoods somewhere in Miami Beach, right, South Beach, or in Miami in Brickell, and so forth. But if you just um, expand your geography in Florida, there are these multiplicities about it, and and that's why the title of my book is Florida. So it's referring both to Florida containing these multiplicities. You can almost divide it into several states and communities. Mm-hmm. And then that's, of course, my contemporary archive and the one by, by Walker Evans, which is historic. And he was kind of a bit accused of nostalgia. So he would shoot in the 60s like it was the 30s. And I catch myself doing the same, but I can't help it. I'm drawn to history. And there's too much of it still present um, in this visual sense in Florida because of the abundance of natural phenomenon that the state you know, has to overcome to survive, if I'm explaining that well. well. You know, you surely still have folks in in Russia that you talk to. When they ask you, what's Florida like, what do you tell them? I show them my pictures. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it's perfectly suited for art photography, because Florida, in a sense, is this construct, it owes its mm-hmm. existence to these perfect images of itself, right? And postcards yeah. and all these, I think Craig mentioned them in his book as well, right? This whole development of Florida through imagery and to convince those tourists to come over and advertise this, what is it, occasional summer storms on the yes. postcards? <laughs> One of the images in your book that just really kind of grabbed me is the one of, I think it was on on Ostero, these huge condominiums sort of erupting from the middle of, of this vast green space. And to me, that really sort of captures what at least that part of Florida has been like in the past. Was that one of your aerial excursions for an um, assignment? That's, yeah, no, that one is actually from a hotel that's not... Oh too dissimilar from those buildings and this is where you wonder and the hotel had water slides so i took um my son there for (laughs) for some special occasion and that's how we ended up on that floor 
Uh, but yeah, you wonder, and it was this early morning, I wonder how they fared actually um, uh, through Ian, because um, it's on that coast. Yeah, you wonder if it's utopian or dystopian living, how it looks right. like another planet, how do they exist? And you start imagining how, you know, how how is the infrastructure um, designed there and how can we possibly survive? Well, I wonder in looking through here, and I noticed that several of your pictures were from Southwest Florida, like that one. Do you plan to go back and do, I, I know that's a little more journalistic to do a before and after, but to, you know, observe the results of nature's fury? Yeah. And this is where I have to be careful and sensitive. Since I'm not reporting the news, you know, this is not a right. record for some reportage. I'm an art photographer. And right now I feel quite immoral being there in the middle mm -hmm. of this cleanup and human tragedy. Um, and people are debating complete relocation, right? So adaptation is looking like rel relocation right now for many. Mm -hmm. I do plan to revisit, but later on, and like with the flood zone project um, and throughout Florida's project, you will hardly find any acute drama or any kind of photojournalistic sensationalist images. I want to provide a more poetic take and a slower um, image in the sense that, you know, it's, it's, it's meant for slower consumption. So it's mm -hmm. working on the level of allegory of metaphor rather than this immediate impact. This is, you know, some dramatic event and psychologically uh, we assume quick resolution for that, right? Or that the place is not going to state in that stay in that in that condition for long. So I don't want that because we already have yeah. plenty of reportage coming from there right. and from all the other uh, problematic. Um, yeah, so this is this is where I have to do things differently. Yeah, but I mean, you you can you, Hurricane Michael when it hit the Panhandle, folks up there. Or that was 2018. Mm -hmm. Folks up there are still rebuilding. From that, I suspect we'll be seeing people still trying to figure out what to do in Southwest Florida from Ian five, six years from now. Would that be yeah. the time to go back, or what do you think? Maybe sooner. Um, there is actually a photograph from Mexico Beach from last year. This is a COVID time, yeah, March 2021, mm -hmm. that I went, and the entire community has been erased. This is a, I think quite illustrative of the conflicting feelings that Floridians have about this, you know, living here. People would just approach me to chat and may don't believe that the big one is going to come in the next hundred years. The big one that referring to another high category hurricane, mm -hmm. uh, but it was the most devastating thing I've ever seen. You know, this image of this lilac pink, sunset i'm standing there and all these um i think pipes from septic tanks just sitting empty and tiles from homes that were just banished except yeah. for the last standing house did you report on that craig the last no, standing house me, in mexico beach yeah but they I, some of my former colleagues did uh, uh yeah and yeah. i found that one and while i was standing there there was a group of younger looking developers coming by and they asked me what I was shooting and I asked what they were shopping for and they said land now and nobody believes there's going to be another big one in a hundred years 
And I said, but how would you build? They said, oh, we only need 10 years to profit. Wow. Wow. Well, and that, that sort of brings me back, and it's incredibly ironic that your previous life was in environmental design, right, and, and sustainability and, and, and those issues. And, and you find yourself now in Miami, one of the most super developed and precariously developed due to climate change places in the world. So with your background in environmental design and, and your uh, life now in Miami and Miami Beach, when you drive around and look at all the development there, what, what do you think? It's complicated, right? And I'm aware of my position being so precarious too. Um, well, just the sheer act of driving, especially in traffic while in Miami Beach, mm-hmm. um, is this really dark irony. There was, I think, a piece a couple of years ago at the art fairs of uh, cars made in sand on the beach. You feel like you're, dr- you're just literally drowning yourself uh, and sabotaging your own um, livelihood. Yeah. Uh, especially coming from this this summer, I, um, I got a grant to work in Europe quite a bit. So I was shooting there and I navigated, only knowing English and, and Russian, um, I navigated all those trains so easily. It always makes me wonder how it could have been if we had trains here. Yeah. And in the larger sense of that um, word too, right? How it would impact uh, the overall emissions in the world if the United States had trains. So yeah, and then development-wise, through my work, I'm trying to have this dialogue, right? I'm trying to have conversations it's in the programming for my exhibitions. It's the kind of audience I'm attempting to invite without, you know, since my images are not of sort of this doom and gloom, they are quite poetic and meditative. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to um, bridge some things ideally, right? And not be divisive um, in my position. It's more of, uh, it's more an attempt to ask the right question and to, Hopefully, inspire people to ask each other questions. I don't think anybody has any definitive answers yet to the problem of development hmm. in places like Miami. Florida is known for being sort of an ephemeral place, anyway. You mentioned about the developers. Oh, we just need ten years to, you know, to make a profit, and then we're out of here. But you found something that was that Walker Evans had photographed, and you were there to photograph as well. Can you tell us a little bit about about the, was it a boatyard? Yeah, there was this only one, you know, there's an assumption that I revisited most of his vacations, but it's actually yeah. just one spot. And it's mm-hmm. this Ribovich Boat Works in West Palm Beach. And he was very hesitant about it back in the 60s. It was uh, for the Fortune Magazine tradition in 64, but it's still very much owned by the same family. And I think now he would have loved the idea. And it's one of those where, it's about representation, right? And it's about what that symbolizes. And to me, it does symbolize this great American dream. You know, and this family has never actually owned a boat. So they were, they're just uh, a skilled craftsmen, boat builders, and only now they got the first boat wow. <laughs> in the recent years. And I met the sons and there's an entire archive by Evans there and his images are on their wall. Um, so it's still owned by the same family, Michael Ribovich. And it's a lovely business, you know, there's something so heartening about the scale of it. It's one of the few family-owned, you know, American-built boats. 
The new book is called Florida's Anna Samoylova has been our guest. Thank you so much for your time and uh, this remarkable visual archive of the state. Oh, and Chad, you had heard something recently. And congratulations. Uh, I I hope you've been informed of this before the the press release goes out, but uh, you won a big uh, Ulites Art Award, right? I have. Yes, thank you. And there will be an (laughs) exhibition of this work in Miami uh, opening at the end of November. That's fantastic. Where is that going to be at specifically in Miami? Dot 51 Gallery. Uh, Yeah, it's on mainland and it's going to be during the art week. Um, But yeah, I'm showing several prints from this and I make them all myself in Miami Beach. Oh, Oh, that's wonderful. And and you're at the Miami Book Fair this year. I'm at the Miami Book Fair. Uh, I don't think my um, author of this book, uh, Lauren Groff, contributed a, a short story. Yes. It was, it's a uh, quite a surreal story, but I liked it. Yeah, and it's based actually <laughs> on the image that's just hanging behind me, this Venus mirror. <laughs> yes, I'm a huge fan of Lauren uh, of Lauren's work. Um, I don't think she's coming, but she she'll be with me in spirit. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Maybe you we'll, can take the mirror. <laughs> yeah, I'll put links to all of those uh, presentations down in the show notes. Anna, continued success. Congratulations on the book, and we'll keep in touch. Thank you Good so luck. much. You've got a, a copy of the Florida's book, Craig, and have obviously paged through it. Give our listeners some uh, feel of its scope and, and what's included in there. It's well, it's fa- it's a fascinating book, and and the works of Walker Evans, the classic, you know, the iconic photographer, are mixed in with the works by our guest. And you mm-hmm. sometimes you can't tell which one is which. Some you obviously can. They're in color. There's a uh, you know a website mentioned in in, in, in one of the pick in one of the billboards mm-hmm. uh things like that little context clues but some of them are so timeless it's it's hard to tell and that's one of the things i liked about it and the other is uh some are some are very you know she mentioned about uh, walker evans and his list of things and one of them is uh uh fake culture and it really it there really is some on display here uh including the uh i think it's called the wonder house in orlando the 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 house that's upside down that you hmm. go into that's there's a picture of that in there and then pictures of like the seaside uh, uh, post office, which is this very classical looking, you know, uh, classic Greek columns and so forth. But it's you know, it's in a beach setting. So it's yeah. clearly not that. So um, I, I really like it. And I like the fact that the title, I think, tells you there are many Floridas. There's not just one Florida experience, but you can experience a lot of different kinds of Florida it, depending on what you're looking for yeah. and what you're looking at. Yeah. Welcome to Florida's. Welcome to Florida's. <laughs>